This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with The Church Boys Podcast, and I have Gabe Lyons on the line, founder of Q Commons. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Billy. Good to be with you. Good to have you. So, you know, I've actually wanted to talk with you for a long time, so I'm glad we're getting a chance to, to chat here. And we're, we're speaking during, uh, well, first of all, you have a big event, and the day that we're recording this here, your event will be happening tonight your Q Commons event, and I want to talk to you about that. But I also want to talk to you about division and where we are right now in America because it's almost it's almost shocking to me, you know, as an evangelical, sort of looking at the landscape and, and looking at Donald Trump and looking at Hillary Clinton and all of the, the battling, the infighting, the political debate. I feel like we're more divided than ever. And I know people always say that, but I really do feel on a multitude of fronts that our society is sort of splintered. And so I guess just to, to lead here, and this is it's sort of a loaded question, but why do you think, you know, when you ask Americans, what do you think about the country? Are we headed in the right direction, the wrong direction? Overwhelmingly, the country says we're headed in the wrong direction. Why do you think for all the splintering we have going on and all the debate, there's agreement at least on, on the, this idea of being headed in the wrong direction? Well, I mean, I think it, the feelings are so visceral for people right now on so many fronts, as you mentioned, Billy. And we do know 72% of Americans believe the country's headed in the wrong direction. So there's a sense of agreement there. Um, you know, another interesting data point in one of our latest research studies showed that 95% of Americans agree on something, too. <laughs> and what they agree on is that the people on the extreme ends of our conversations, our public conversations, get all the attention. And they label one another so severely, it makes finding common ground impossible. Hmm. So think about that for a second. Almost 100% of Americans agree that these extremes are getting all the attention. And on those extremes, they're so divisive that finding this common ground, which is what most of us want. We know 7 out of 10 Americans actually want to find common ground. They see themselves as in the middle. uh, And they're looking for leadership. I think the challenge today is, they recognized we can't trust political leaders to get us there. I mean, the last eight years with President Obama, as much as he intended to bring people together, we see that it's actually just gotten worse. Uh, they don't look to religious leaders anymore to bring them together. They've lost trust in institutions. We've seen their respect for religion in our country drop from the 60s to the low 60s to around 40% now just over the last eight years and how much they respect religion. So essentially, I think people are feeling at a loss. They have angst, they have fear and concerns, and they really don't know where to place hope anymore. Uh, And so for those of us that are people of faith, we understand we have a hope that goes beyond this. And that's what gets us through, I think, these kinds of moments and gives us hope and confidence that there's something better coming around the corner here. We just have to be faithful through the midst of it. 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting because as an even I live you know in New York in New York City just outside of the city, and so as an evangelical and I, I'm I tend to be I'm a journalist, but I tend to be more conservative, and I'm open about that personally. I I tend to be you know, but but living in a place like this, I've it's been good for me because I can sort of learn. Okay, most of my friends don't agree with me. We're not on the same page, but we have a good friendship. But it's been fascinating to sort of watch the splintering in this on both sides, right? If you talk to somebody who doesn't like Trump, they say, well, you know, everybody who's voting for Trump, they're bigots, they're awful, and they must agree with him. And on the other side, everybody who's voting for Hillary is evil and maniacal. You know, and I hear these things, and I, I say to myself, wow, even the people that have friendships that you interact with who know you, you know, it's so it's such a politically charged environment that the judgment just sort of jumps right in. And I think for Christians, the danger is that we sort of sometimes, at least I know I'm guilty of this, you sort of put politics first instead of your faith first, and you don't really approach it the way you should. So I wanted to kind of ask you, you know, how should Christians be acting in an environment that is so difficult, so politically charged? How should we be leading the discussion? Well, we need to understand that, listen, in, in just a few weeks, November 9th is coming, and half this nation is going to feel misrepresented, feel like they didn't get what they wanted. They're going to feel like America's going in the opposite direction of what they think the future of America ought to be. And there's going to continue to be a sense of hopelessness about it for many Americans. And I think uh, just because we know the top two candidates, Trump and, and Clinton, already have such high uh, high rates of people not trusting them and lack of desirability and um, credibility that over seven out of ten Americans don't even want these to be our top two candidates. So no matter what, what we understand is in the months and the year ahead, uh, people are going to be looking for bigger answers. I think one of the things that this election is doing that people of faith need to take note of, it's causing people to realize that we can't put our hope in any particular man or human being to solve our problems. Um, and so for us as people of faith, we know God's the person that we put our hope in and our faith in, but we also understand that in our own communities, in our own relationships, neighborhoods, with our colleagues at work, that we have a real role to play in healing and bringing people together. And that's a lot of what our event tonight with Q Commons is about, is helping educate Christians to how to be informed about these issues, but how to humanize them, how to recognize that the person who's voting for Trump, if you're voting for Hillary or you've decided to abstain from voting, that they're not your enemy. They're your neighbor. And the image of God is in them as you. And, and they're looking to just try to find solutions to the problems that concern them the, them the most. And if we take the time to listen to one another, take the time to digest it, not label and judge, I think Facebook and Twitter has absolutely made all of these discussions become so red hot that we're so limited on the information we take in and the information we put out. And so the lack of context, the lack of relationship has now driven us in this moment to a sense of hysteria uh, and tribalism to where we just group up with those who think like us. We love our little echo chamber of people who uh, validate us and like what we say and affirm that. Uh, and we actually, you know, I mean, even scientifically, we know in our brains, we actually um, get a little bit of a hit off of that when that happens. And so we love it. And it's driving us mad, though. And there's yeah. going to be a real opportunity for people of faith to think long term about this and actually be part of the solution and building real relationships with people outside of just technology based relationships. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, for, for, so, for so many of us, I mean, I love social media, but. But there's this other end of it, and lately I've thought a lot more about it, of just what has happened. to I, I feel like 
it hasn't necessarily helped the discourse. Maybe it balances out. In some ways it's helped, but in some ways I think it's actually made things a little more difficult. And I personally, I mean, I left my personal Facebook page alone and I put up an image that said, I'll be back after the election. And I literally left it alone. I, I cannot take it anymore because, and I love to engage and talk with people, but I, you know, there's a heaviness to some of that battling that's going on where at some point you just, for me, it was like, you know what? I'm going to step away from this until after because these are people I love and I know um, personally, and I just don't want to see this anymore. And so that, that for me was kind of an interesting decision and I've never really done that before, but I sort of pulled back from it. Um, yeah. Let, let me ask you, what has shocked you the most, you know, about just what you've observed in maybe the past six months culturally in this country? Well, I think the, um, sense of, in my world, okay, as, as Christians and evangelicals specifically, uh, seeing evangelical leaders, uh, you know, who, who hold themselves up as evangelical leaders, I think if you really look into the data, you recognize there's not, they're not necessarily representing a large group of people. Um, they just have certain platforms that they're using to, to share their message, but that who have really come out advocating for Donald Trump. I mean, I think that's probably been one of the most surprising things, because while I recognize for many people, they go, look, I've got to choose the lesser of two evils, or I've got to make this decision on these two candidates. I, I get that and personally decide to vote for one of these candidates. I think the public advocating, though, um, using ministry platforms or, or, or using even faith terms to try to make the case for why um, Donald Trump is going to be a great executive leader of our country, I think that's, to me, crossed the line. And I think there's a lot of reaction happening to that, too, within the Christian community. I think, I think a lot of public witness is on the line for some of these leaders who've come out so strongly um, and, and have decided to really make some alliances and to put themselves out there. And I think that's going to hurt. I think they're going to regret that in time. Uh, but I think that's the reality that has probably surprised me the most over the last six months. Yeah, that's interesting. I was in a meeting with maybe 30 leaders, you know, faith leaders, and I, I won't say who was there, but it was an off-the-books meeting with Trump at Trump Tower maybe two weeks ago, and I just sat and I observed and I listened, and I think that was sort of the, for me, one of the most interesting pieces was most of the people in that room, most of the evangelicals, and there were Catholics too, were not in that camp of we're endorsing everything you say and we're going to, but there were a couple of people where it shocked me how far they were willing to go because I understand, I understand saying, look, the Supreme Court's on the line. We have two horrible options, and and we are concerned about culture, and so we're going to go with the lesser of two evils that we feel will hopefully give us you know something in the end that that looks like some sort of victory or whatever, however close you can get to a victory. I understand that, but to your point, I do think it's interesting how far people are willing to go. Some of the same people who criticize Bill Clinton rightfully, and 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 others who have had moral failings. Um, just sort of ignoring some of those things with Trump. It's a tough election, right? I mean, it's this yeah, is not it is. easy. It's, it's it's really forcing everybody to number one get a civics lesson in understanding how the electoral college works, how politics works. But I also think it's forcing people just morally to to consider at different levels uh, what can we live with and how can I live with myself? Because when you cast a vote, uh, for many people, that vote's not only about adding. A multiplier to a particular candidate, but you're really voting for a type of person. You're voting for a campaign. You're voting for a type of dialogue that's happening in this country. And I think that's what 
more Christians need to be thoughtful about is not that not that it's a sin to vote for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, but that when you do cast your vote, like it means something. You got to go home and tell your kids who you voted for and why, and, and explain that. And I know um, that's going to be a challenge for a lot of people who are just torn right now and really don't feel like they have another option besides just voting against something with their vote. And so. Um, there's challenging days ahead for sure, and we're not sure how what direction this particular election will go. But what I what I am sure of is that people of faith, uh, we have to be the ones building relationships. You know, I think about these issues like race, which we'll talk about with our Q Commons event with Lecrae, a hip hop artist tonight, and and it's called Race and Righteous Anger. And we're talking about how do you funnel anger into a righteous anger that actually leads to resolution and leads to rec- leads to reconciliation. Uh, and we we understand that. In these cities where we've seen protests taking place, shootings taking place, and the law enforcement really sort of not not being able to engage the way they might normally engage because they're trying to be sensitive to the, to the issue, um, or riots that took place in Charlotte, what you realize is it was the faith leaders that the mayor called on that night to come out and help the next night when things had gotten so bad the night before because it was only the faith leaders that were going to have the ability and the relationships to really calm the crowd, to, to help people understand how to channel their anger, channel their protest into something that could actually be useful. And that's what we're trying to do is, is connect leaders who are faith leaders and say, look, you have a role to play. Even though sometimes you're feeling shut out in this current culture and like your faith's not respected as much or wanted in the conversation, in these moments of crisis, it's wanted, it's needed, and we need you to step into it, and our country needs you to step into it. And so that's why I hope more faith leaders don't get too maligned in sort of this political moment for the next three weeks so that their credibility lasts beyond this election and they can be seen as people who could be trusted um, for the long haul on this thing, not just the short term. Yeah, and it's, look, it's tough. I know Lecrae's taken some heat in recent months, you know, recent weeks and months over some of the things he's tweeted and put on Facebook and people, you know, I think we're all so ready to react because that's what social media tells us to do. You, you react, you immediately jump in and um, I think, though, he's spoken very um, eloquently and, and said some very interesting things about all these debates. I guess you know, one of the broader things, we're talking about race, we're talking about politics, it does feel, it's sort of odd to me that where we are, it feels like we should be moving beyond so many of these things. We should be at least progressing to a more positive point, whereas it sort of feels not, you know, for the risk of sounding dramatic, that the seams are, are falling apart in so many different ways, that society is sort of unraveling. Um, and, and I, you know, is there a light at the end of the tunnel on that in your view? Do, do we just, yeah. well, talk, speak to that. Cause I don't want to read into it. Well, to me, the, well, to me, the light at the end of the tunnel is when you start to see this many Americans desperate going, we're going down the wrong path. We're not satisfied with our leaders. It's forcing now some bigger questions for people. And the questions that they're asking are the questions every human being asks, unless they're too distracted. And I would say we've been very distracted as a nation. Uh, our comforts have been really good. I think the church has been very distracted. And now we're having to ask some big questions like, what am I here for? What's my purpose? What's actually wrong in the world? What is causing all these problems? Is it just policies or could there actually be something called sin that human beings fall into and that actually create all kinds of problems? And, and so I think those kind of bigger conversations are coming on the heels of this election. I think the church is going to have a lot of internal conversations about what is our role in politics and in this state? How much do we align and 
support these different parties? How do, how, what's the healthy distance we're supposed to keep so that we retain our public witness and our credibility? And, and obviously, the parties are going to have a lot of discussions about the future and the direction. And so I think these moments of desperation are going to really snap us awake in a way that maybe a lot of us have been asleep. And I think that can only produce good because we'll ask deeper questions. There's certainly going to be some problems. There's certainly going to be some really bad moments. Uh, but I also think there's going to be opportunities for healing uh, and opportunities for some deeper conversation that we just haven't been able to have as of late. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. In a lot of ways, a lot of critics, and I would agree with them, would say that many of the problems that Christian leaders are confronted with right now are problems that Christians have sort of created ourselves and themselves. Um, and that you know, a lot of this Trump support may also be a reaction to, I mean, you have the gay marriage ruling, you have the transgender movement, you have a lot of these things happening that for a lot of Christians feel very counter their belief system, and it's sort of this internal reaction, like, oh my gosh, we haven't engaged properly, and now we've lost all of these battles, and you're kind of looking for someone to come in and stop that, right? So you think about the Supreme yeah. Court, you think about these other ways of trying to stop some of those things, um, and it's, it is interesting because... It seems like, I mean, it does seem to be for at least conservative evangelical Christians that there may be some tough times ahead. I mean, you look at the laws, how laws are working in certain states, Massachusetts, you know, and these are complicated issues, obviously, so I'm not speaking from my opinion. I'm speaking of the issue itself, the transgender bathroom issue, all of that. Um, it's, it does seem like we're heading into a time that might be more difficult. What would you say to Christians who are afraid of that? You know, they're fearful of a Hillary Clinton presidency or even a Trump presidency and their rights not being protected in some way. Yeah, well, that's a very real thing. And our research has shown, even in the early days of Trump's support amongst evangelicals, that the driver was a fear of their rights being lost. And they were just looking for somebody to stop what felt like a steamrolling effect that's happening to Christians, to their ability to share their views, to run their colleges and organizations the way they feel they should out of their own um, conscience. And so Trump, to them, represented some way to stand up to that. Uh, and, and what I would say to my fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ is, is let's just remember that the New Testament was actually written to a minority living in the midst of an empire. <laughs> and it was written to a group of people who had no clout, no political clout, no power, no social power in any way beyond just their human relationships, their hospitality, the way that they interacted with their neighbors, and that uh, the church actually grew magnificently, and that the church actually does really well under that kind of pressure. And we just haven't felt that pressure before. And so while we don't want to lose freedoms, we don't want to lose the rights that we feel like are God-given rights for human beings and how we should function, we certainly can look forward with hope to say, look, there's opportunity in all of this. And if this forces us to get back to the basics, then maybe this is the best thing that could happen for the church. And so let's welcome it. Let's welcome it with joy. And, and let's realize that for many of us, this is a white conversation about evangelicals and power and losing privileges. But when we look at our African-American brothers and sisters, we have a lot to learn from them. They've suffered for, for years, for centuries, and, and we've seen them in the last few decades still continue to have joy amidst oppression and joy amidst suffering in a way that I think a lot of white leaders could learn from, uh, because for them it hasn't just been this cup of tea of being people of faith in the midst of this American culture and things were on their side. 
They continue to feel that things aren't on their side, and yet they express joy in their faith. And I think that's just a lesson for all of us to learn and to act on and to find uh, just, a, just a sense of encouragement in. Yeah. Well, great. Last question for you, and it's an important one. I want you to tell me a little bit about Q Commons, just you know how you founded it, why you founded it, what you're doing at tonight's event, and what your, what your overarching goals are through the organization and through the events. Yeah, thanks, Billy. I mean, for the last decade, we've hosted an annual conference in April called Q, um, and then the year, so Q 2016, and now Q 2017 comes up next April, and 2,000 leaders come in from all over the world to engage some of the difficult conversations and topics, the things you and I have been talking about around, you know, transgender, sexuality, race, politics, and also our callings and vocations, and how do we you know, be people of faith who show up in every industry you could imagine, from media and the government to the social sector to education and our schools and so forth. And so that's been going on for 10 years, and we realized that many of the leaders who were coming, they really needed to have this conversation in their own city because all of these issues work themselves out locally. And so we wanted to empower those leaders. And so now we've had, um, over the last two years, over 300 leaders who have stepped up and said, we want to lead these kinds of conversations in our own city. And so tonight will be the latest iteration of that, where we'll have over 140 different locations, not only in the U.S., but around the world, global cities like Johannesburg, South Africa, Sydney, Australia, Edinburgh, Scotland, Berlin, um, all the way to places like Baton Rouge and Sacramento and, you know, Indianapolis, where they're leading a conversation where, anywhere from 100 to 500 people come out for this evening and we broadcast three talks that we do that are nine minute talks uh, that we broadcast out to each of these locations um, and they'll hear from leaders like Lecrae talking about race or we have Kirsten Powers and Ross Douth, two political commentators on opposite ends of the aisle, so one conservative, one liberal, discussing the election and helping them think well about it. But then on the flip side, they have local talks that they select. And so they have three local talks where mayors will speak, maybe police chiefs, local activists, somebody you know working on education in their particular school district, um, issues such as injustice that are taking place in their communities, or just celebrating really creative ways people have created culture in their community. And so all combined, it creates this two-hour evening in over 100 locations where there's a national kind of unifying conversation that we're leading and that's broadcast in in a simulcast format. And then we interact with them and they locally have talks as well. And then people are there sitting around tables, meeting one another, many for the first time, representing all different industries and locations in their community. And they're building relationships and then reacting and responding about what did they learn tonight? What challenged them the most? How can they take action together to do something about something they were just exposed to? And so it creates this incredible dynamic evening, and it's really fun, and uh, it's something we just love that we get to do. Well, I love it, and I really appreciate you coming on. I would love to have you back again, if you're willing, anytime. Yeah, that sounds great, Billy. All right, good luck tonight. All right, thanks, man.
the founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this, uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company, and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a thousand agents across the country, and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents I trust, it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's got to be a better way. There is. Realestateagentsitrust.com.